Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining me today on Next on the Tee. We are brought to you by the great folks over at the French Lick Resort, the Bobby Jones Company, Frogger Golf, and our friends at Orange Whip, makers of the Orange Whip Trainer. And folks, if you haven't checked out the Orange Whip and you're looking for a great way to limber up before your round, improve your club head speed, or just, you know, kind of kick the dust off your uh, golf swing from a long winter, then you need to go check out the Orange Whip. Folks, there isn't a better way to loosen up and get prepared for your round of golf than by swinging the Orange Whip. My father, 73 years old, plays five days a week. He's using the Orange Whip to loosen up before his rounds. It's helping me get loose before my rounds, plus improving my club head speed as well. Take a look at what a great training aid that it is, and I wouldn't say it, folks, if I wasn't using it myself. Go online to see for yourself at orangewhiptrainer.com. Also want to tell you about, you know, our friends over at Callaway Golf, and Callaway has been the fastest growing golf brand since 2013, and the Chrome Soft Golf Ball has been a major part of that. Chrome Soft is extremely fast, incredibly soft, and unbelievably easy to control, which is why Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed, and Jim Furyk have changed to the Chrome Soft. You have to be willing to change to get better, right? Well, Chrome Soft and the new Chrome Soft X are in stores now. They can help you do it. See what they can do at CallawayGolf.com. Chrome Soft. It's the ball that's changing the ball. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I've got two great you know, guests that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. And first up is going to be PGA Pro and uh, course designer Bill Bergen. Bill was a top player in college at Auburn. He played in 250 tournaments worldwide, and now he's the owner of Bergen Golf Design. So we've got so much to get into when Bill joins me here in just a few minutes. And following Bill, I'll get a return visit from our good friend and 2003 PGA champion, Sean McKeel, who's got some big news to share. He, uh, you know, He's now uh, going to be the lead analyst for the BBC at this year's Masters Golf Tournament. Learned about that just a week or so ago. So I'm looking forward to hearing you know, that story, plus you know, how he's going about preparing for his bir- you know, first big TV broadcasting role. Sean will be here to share that story and much more later on in this half hour. So it's going to be an informative show this morning. Thank you so much for being here and taking the journey with me over the next hour or so. And like I mentioned a moment ago, we're sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our friend Steve Rondonero about the great things they have going on up there. Play the courses the champions play. The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses at French Lick Resort. The 2017 NCGOA National Course of the Year Our Pete Dye course hosts the first-ever Senior LPGA Championship presented by Old National Bank this July. French Lick's Donald Ross course is looking good as it turns 100 this summer and hosts the Donald Ross Centennial Classic Symmetra Tour event. Book your golf vacation now at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, be sure to go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great it is and to book your stay. And speaking of great, if you joined us a couple of weeks ago, you heard about the meteoric rise of the Bradley Putter Company from concept back on Black Friday to one of the sensations at the PGA Merchandise Show in late January. Bradley Converse, the owner of Bradley Putters, joined me a couple of weeks ago, and we're proud to be partnering with he and his great team to promote the unique and outstanding line of putters that they make from Burl Wood, folks. People are raving about them, and you know I'm certainly excited to get mine. They're custom-made based on the shape and colors that you like. Go online to bradleyputters.com to see how fantastic this new line of putters really is. And every week here on Next on the Tee, we like to kick off the show by saluting the brave men and women who are serving in every branch of our military, who are tuning in around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. 
We want to thank all of you for the daily sacrifices that you and your families are making to protect our freedoms and our liberties. We also want to thank our veterans out there for all that you and your families have done for us over the years. It's through your strength and your efforts that our way of life continues to be possible. If you happen to see a member of our military when you're out and about, wherever you might be, in the grocery store, at a restaurant, in the airport, please stop for a moment and tell those folks thank you. They are our true heroes. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It is such an honor for us to have Next on the T as part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. Also want to continue to remind our veterans out there, be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. What a great site with news and articles and a wealth of information specifically geared towards our veterans out there that I'm sure you're going to find both interesting and beneficial to you. Again, globalvoiceforveterans.org. I also want to send out a big thank you to our good friends over at Podbean for making Next on the T and our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, regularly featured podcast, both on their website and on their mobile app. You can see us featured right there on their homepage and in their sports and recreation section. We really appreciate them for their support and what they're doing to help promote our shows. Our shows. It means a great deal to us. If you happen to be listening to the show as a podcast, well, we hope you're doing it on the Podbean podcast app. And on their app, you can get instant updates every time we publish a new episode. It's free. It's got great features that let you easily discover, listen, and even publish a podcast for yourself. So whether you know you use an Android or an iPhone, Podbean is the podcasting app that's near right there for you. Get the app now on Google Play or on the Apple App Store so you can enjoy more of the podcasts that you love. And we hope two of them are next on the T and Thursday Night Tailgate. Again, check us out, podbean.com. All right, now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Bill Bergen. Let me give you some more background on Bill. Played his college golf, like I mentioned a moment ago, at Auburn University and was named first team All-SEC every year from 1978 to 1981, and he helped Auburn win the SEC championship back in 1980. He's played in over 250 professional tournaments worldwide, including three U.S. Opens, two Open championships, and over 50 PGA Tour events. He's now the owner of Bergen Golf Designs. He's been involved in over 50 golf course design projects, highlighted by his completed designs at the club at Foxland Harbor, uh, Old Hickory near Nashville, which was named one of Golf Week's 2009 Best New Golf Courses, Heritage Plantation in Laurel Hill, Florida, which was selected as Golf Digest's fifth best new public or resort course in the U.S. back in 2008, Chariot Run, Golf Week's number three best course you can play in Indiana, Miramichi, Justin Timberlake's eco-friendly golf course, named Golf Week's number one best golf course you can play in Tennessee. And Chattanooga Golf and Country Club, a Donald Ross design course along the Tennessee River up in Chattanooga that my father raves about. And I'm excited that Bill is with me here this morning on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for joining me on the show. Good morning, Chris. My pleasure. So, Bill, I wanted to start off our conversation this morning going back to your college days. First of all, what led you to go play golf at uh, at Auburn? Well, you know, I um, grew up as a competitive golfer, uh, certainly playing in the Atlanta area. And it was interesting because one of my close friends was a gentleman you know well, a guy named Bob Toy. And Bob Toy moved into uh, our neighborhood in, 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 in the Atlanta Marietta area. And we became fast friends, and we started playing golf together every day. And, well, he he set the bar. Uh, he was the best player in the state at the time. But uh, he kind of lifted all those around him. So we, we played golf every day and, and, and got better and better. And he went off to Oklahoma State, and then I went and played at Auburn. And um, it was a great choice for me because 
it was a place that I ended up being able to play major college golf, uh, great schedule, great competition, but I got to play almost every tournament for four years. So, you know, nothing beats being out there in competition and, and getting to play. So it was, it was a great choice for me. And, um, and, and then years later, fortunately, they hired me to uh, design the Auburn University Club, which is a private club, but it's where the golf teams, um, both men and women golf, golf teams play out of down at Auburn. So it's been a it's been a, a just a fantastic place. Uh, I couldn't couldn't have picked a better spot to go to college and to continue a relationship with. And Bill, during your time there, you played against some great players at some of the other SEC schools. As I was looking at the competition, you were playing against regularly guys like you know Larry Rinker, Ken Green, Mark Kalkavecchia. Those guys were at Florida, so they were stacked down at UF. You had Chip Beck, you know, playing here at Georgia. You had Jim Gallagher, you know, was up at Tennessee. Steve Lowry was at Alabama. All those guys at the same time. Talk about what it was like trying to compete against those guys week in and week out. Yeah, it was. You see, that's what I was, what I was mentioning is we played a great, a great schedule against great competition. And, and a couple other guys that you would um, remember with Florida State, uh, Jeff Sluman and Paul Azinger played a lot with those guys and they were you know outstanding players although zinger was a, a funny story because when he got to florida state he was bad and two years later he was great you talk about a meteoric rise in in ability uh he just went from not a very good player at all to to an exceptional golfer in, in about two years and then continued that through his pj tour days and then a guy who just continued to beat me every time i was in a had a chance to win a golf tournament jody mudd uh out of Georgia Southern, who later went on to win a Players Championship, he had my number. So anytime I had a chance to win, it seemed like Jody Mudd would would uh, always come out on top on the final day. But again, got to play great courses, uh, great competition. University of Georgia was always one that I um, I wanted to beat and wanted to play well against, being from Atlanta, um, but ended up go, you know going to Auburn. And Bill, as I look back at the 1981 SEC championship, you know, you guys won that golf tournament by one stroke over defending champion Tennessee, three over Georgia and LSU, which is awfully close in a team competition. Curious, you know, to get your memories uh, about that golf tournament. Well, I have great memories of that tournament. That was an exciting win for us. And um, it was funny because uh, I was having a, a mediocre final round and was four over with two to play and birdied the last two holes, which was um, obviously decisive, but more importantly, we had a, a, a sophomore named Tim Crapple. She'd 69 the last day. So between between his finish and uh, I birdied the last two holes, and he ended up shooting 69 the final round. We, you know, you win by one shot. You think about that. It's with five players, all the shots that go on that day. What you know, it's just you know, it's just such a, a small difference. And, and yeah, Jim Gallagher was in that group uh, with Tennessee, and a guy named Stuart Smith who I played with, and. You know, it was exciting, and, and we still uh, we still get together and put on those SEC championship rings and wear them proudly. I saw the tournament was played over in Augusta, Georgia. Where was it played? Was it played at Augusta National? No, <laughs> no, but it was played at Westlake, which is a, a really a really nice golf course over there. And we ended up um, – I played the SEC championship there, and I played a state amateur there, and um, Georgia State Amateur back in 1980. Uh, that was one I let get away. I was tied for the lead with nine holes to play, but a, a pretty good player named Griff Moody out of Georgia, a former Walker Cupper, and, and, and also a guy who spent some time on the PGA Tour. He ended up winning that year, and then uh, I won the next year, 1981, up at Dalton Country Club. 
Jason Duffner is a uh, is another famous uh, Auburn alum. Have you had a chance to play uh, some rounds of golf with Jason? I have not played with Jason, but I, I see him every year at the. We have a fundraiser for the golf teams, and then we also work together actually on a practice facility. The the golf team has a tremendous practice facility at the um, 22 acre site. You know, full driving range with with tees on both ends, but it's got an eight acre triangular area down at the bottom where we've got um, four greens. You can work on any shot really from 200 yards or less to an actual you know, USGA uh, putting surfaces with bunkers and, and off of any type of lie. And um, Jason, it, we worked together on, on one of those greens um, one, just in the last few years. So he's a big supporter. He's, he's put his um, heart and money behind that program and, and has done a great job. And our coaches, uh, a guy named Nick Kleinard, and he is fabulous, uh, a tremendous work ethic, never satisfied, always looking to improve. And he has brought Auburn into – you know, an elite program. He's really done a super job and couldn't be more pleased to have him leading the way with our golf team. And Bill, as I mentioned in your intro, you've gotten to play in some some major championships. I saw you played in the 1980 U.S. Open at Baltus Roll, which was you know, won by Jack Nicklaus, the famous Jack is back victory. Talk about qualifying and being a part of that golf tournament. Well, that was a, an exciting time. That was I qualified when I was a, a after my junior year at Auburn, so I played as an amateur. And so to go play in a major championship as an amateur is, is truly a thrill. Uh, I was treated wonderfully. Uh, I was, you know, a little bit blown away as far as being in that environment at the time. And I had played in two U.S. amateurs, um, and I'd played a lot of college golf, but, but we weren't we weren't exposed back in those days like the young guys are today. You guys today come out of the ASGCA program. I mean, the, the Atlanta, the American Junior Golf Association program. They're they're ready to go. Um, they are far more polished and experienced. So, my teeing it up in that U.S. Open was a little bit of a shock to to the, to the system. Uh, I did break 80 both days, but the first day I shot 79 and Jack shot 63, and I thought, well, that's almost a stroke a hole. I have got a long, long way to go because I couldn't even visualize a 63. It was not. There was no way that could possibly even enter my mind as a, as being a possible score at that time, and for for him to do that was just phenomenal. I also got to play um, a practice. Sorry, I did get to no, play no, a practice round with, with with. I got to play a practice round with Gene Littler, who was the former U.S. Open champion, and um, at the time my dad was caddying for me, and I remember him being. This was just a practice round, but he was more nervous being around Gene Littler than I was playing in the tournament. Uh, and that was because he just, you know, had such admiration for, for a guy who had won a U.S. Open. And um, uh, a University of Georgia guy by the name of Tim Simpson, a Hall of Famer in our state, he uh, he arranged that practice round. And um, so Chip Beck and Tim Simpson and I played with Gene Litter. It was quite quite a thrill. And maybe to expand on, on that a bit, Bill, you know, when you got out on tour, and like I said, you know, in your intro, you've played in, you know, over 250 professional tournaments worldwide. Did you have somebody out on tour that you know was a mentor to you and to kind of help you understand what it's like to, to come out and compete, you know, week in and week out on the tour? Well, I'll give Tim Simpson a little credit for that because I got to play in some early tour events when I didn't really know anybody, and Tim was there for practice rounds, you know, again at the U.S. Open. I remember him introducing me to Dean Beeman on the practice range down at the Southern Open. He he, he really treated me treated me very very well, and I and I you know. I'm very appreciative for that. And then when I got on tour, I was a rookie with Bob Tway. 
So two kids who grew up together um, were rookies on the PGA Tour together. So we traveled together and we played every practice round together in 1985, along with a guy named Mike Hulbert out of East Tennessee State. The three of us literally teed it up every week in the practice rounds together. And um, it was a, it was a, a, a great time. But I ended up playing 50 PGA Tour events over the course of about six years. Had my card in 1985, but I made 17 cuts. And so 17 out of 50, that sends you in a different direction. Um, but I got a great <laughs> taste of it. And, and, and I really was able to take, take that experience. And then I, and I spent three years teaching at Cherokee Town and Country Club in Atlanta. And when I combined those two two experiences and then went to work for Bob Cuff, I had a, a great groundwork for understanding um, golf and design and how it affects all players. And so uh, the teaching was ab- absolutely every bit as important as playing professionally, yet people like to hear about the experience of playing. You know, I played in five majors, and, and those are those are good stories, especially the 84 um, Open Championship or as we called it in 1984, the British Open. <laughs> so please, you know, share the story. What was it like in that Open? Well, it's funny because I was playing golf. I, I was playing full-time, and I was playing what was called the TPS Tour, and that stood for Tournament Players Series, and that was a joint venture between the PGA Tour and the PGA of America, and it was really the forerunner of the Web.com Tour. It was the first version. Um, we had 10 events, we had players, young players, we had club pros, and then we had a bunch of players from the 40 and over set. And what I mean by that is Gary Player played, Hubert Green played, and Jim Dent played. But in some of the events, I mean, we had Scott Hope play and Payne Stewart. All kinds of really good players played in these events um, for various reasons. So I was playing on that tour, and I... um I, one of my friends, a guy named Charlie Bowling, who won the South African Open, he was telling me that, hey, the British Open is at St. Andrews, and if you enter the qualifier as an American professional, you only have to go through the final stage. You don't have to go through two stages. And they do that because of travel. If you had to go over there for two weeks and stay all through qualifying, nobody would do it. And so I decided that I was going to enter, and if I had the money to go, if I was playing well, I'd, I'd go tee it up in the qualifier well it just so happened i finished second in a in a tps event up in new hampshire and off i went to st andrews and uh i I went and i was playing qualifying at a course called london links which is a small links course you know within half an hour of st andrews and i got there early which was great because acclimation at the time to go over there and 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 feel decently i'm I'm amazed the players do it these days i mean they do have their private jets and, and all and they're used to traveling but it does make your body feel different and as you know golf is completely about how you feel i mean it you feel everything as a golfer i noticed you know if you went bowling you could tell if you went swimming or water skiing i mean you couldn't hardly swing a golf club so the travel over there i remember it took me a couple of days to where i felt like i was swinging the club properly again and, and i and again i got there early enough um that I played three practice rounds on London Links and ended up shooting 71-65 and qualified easily. Um, the 65 was a course record at the time, so I was obviously playing well, having finished second the week before in New Hampshire and then and then qualifying. And then all of a sudden it's uh, Tuesday and I'm teeing up in a practice round at St Andrews. And and the funniest thing about that was standing on the first tee of a practice round with a friend. I'm playing with Charlie Bowling from um, from the U.S. I was more nervous than I think I've ever been on a golf shot in my life. And it was a practice round, and it didn't count. 
but it was standing on that tee at St. Andrews. It was the moment. It, the moment meant so much. And um, I'll, I'll never forget that. And I had a, had a really great experience, uh, made the cut on the nose and then had a uh, fantastic round on Saturday. I shot 66 on Saturday, which equaled the best round of the week. Uh, there were four 66 wow. that week. Tom Watson shot 66 Saturday. Um, Sam Torrance shot 66 and Ian Baker finished shot 66, I believe, on Friday. So there were four, four 66s that week. And the final round I played with Nick Faldo. And so that was a, a thrill to be playing in St. Andrews, especially looking back to that, you know, now over 30 years ago, um, to think about teeing it up uh, on the, on Sunday at St. Andrews with Faldo. So, Bill, talk about your transition. How do you go from being a guy competing out on tour, you know, competing worldwide and, and those sorts of things? You know, you talked about the 17 cuts, you know, that you made. But how did you go from there and transition into golf course design? Well, 17 out of 50 cuts, uh, 50 tournaments, 70 cuts out of 50 tournaments will send you looking at a different direction. So <laughs> that was that was uh, um, really something that, that had to happen. Plus, I had a... Um, a child on the way, and it was just something I needed to do. And so I went and I worked at Cherokee Town and Country Club in Atlanta. I was a teaching pro there for three years. At that time, I still wanted to play. And and so that would afforded me the chance to be around golf, to practice. I, I gave eight to ten lessons a day, so I was really busy teaching. But I was able to play golf tournaments. And even at that time, I, I played in the Provident Classic in Chattanooga as an assistant pro at Cherokee and finished sixth. And that was a PGA Tour event, so you don't get many – you know, assistant, you know, guys working in golf shops and teaching on, on driving ranges that ended up finishing sixth in a tour, tour event. And it was a smaller tour event, mind you, but, but still it was a, a great finish and, um, and, and a, a fun time. But I spent three years teaching and I, I still wanted to play, but by the end of that three years, I decided that was it. I'm, I'm, I'm done with playing and now what am I going to do? Well, I had been interested in golf course design from the time I was at Auburn. I did a paper on in a class about golf course design. I didn't study it. Um, I went to Auburn to study agronomy, but you could not play on the golf team and, and do that because of afternoon science lab. And so um, I have a business degree, um, but was always interested in golf course architecture. And I had a friend, you know, John Gehring from Atlanta Country Club, who made an introduction to Bob Cup and said, um, I'd like you to meet meet this guy. And so I went in and talked to Bob. And literally, I worked for free for a short period of time. I worked for minimum wage for a little bit longer. And then, and while I was still working at Cherokee, I kind of did double, did double duty for a little while. And then I transitioned to working um, weekdays with Bob and weekends at Cherokee. And then finally, uh, he hired me full time at, at half the pay I was making at Cherokee. So it was, it was a big step backward. Um, financially and a huge step forward uh, for my career. And it was a, a great move, a little painful at the time, but it was a, his office. It's a very plan-oriented design company, or was, and uh, fit me uh, perfectly well because I was a great mapper of golf courses. My yardage books were really good. Um, I always had the right yardages. Uh, it wasn't for lack of preparation. My, my, uh, my performance on tour wasn't for lack of preparation. It was a little bit more lack of, of consistent skill level. So as I've looked at, you know, a lot of the courses that you've designed, Bill, you know, and they look really fantastic, by the way. I've lived near Kennesaw, Georgia for the last 20 years. Two of the courses 
that you've worked on are, are Pine Tree Country Club and Dunwoody Country Club. Like I say, two of the premier pri uh, private clubs around Atlanta. I've never played either of them, but I've heard nothing but great things about them. Take well, us Chris, through the work Chris, that you've we're, done we're on have, those properties. We're going to have to get you out on those courses so you have a, 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 can have a, a true review. But um, Pine Tree was really a great project, and again, Growing up here in Atlanta, it was actually our home course for Wheeler one year. We played played pretty much all our matches out there. And then um, also, I used to get, take lessons from Don Trahan, who was DJ Trahan's father. But Don was the teaching professional or the head professional at Pine Tree for years. And he welcomed me out there when I was a player and really, really helped me. In fact, he was instrumental in my success in the 84 British Open. Um, that 14th place finish, I'll give Don, Don Trahan total credit for that. Um, so I've known that golf course a long time and, um, they hired me probably in the mid two thousands to do a master plan. And then we didn't really, nothing happened. And then in 2008, they said, okay, we're ready to go. And we basically blew that golf course up. We, um, we disturbed about 50, 55 acres of, of ground, which is, I would just to give you a context, a normal big renovation, we disturb about 30 to 35 acres. And that's, that's a major renovation. We're really giving the golf course a facelift. Well, Pine Tree, we were even more than that. So we, we rebuilt every feature on that golf course, um, really changed the complexion of the course, but not the routing. Uh, we did do some pushes and pulls on the routing. I like to take a golf course and, and literally, uh, in today's world, I like, quite honestly, sometimes we'll shorten the short holes and lengthen the long holes to get more diversity. And we certainly did that at Pine Tree. Uh, the fifth hole was a medium par four, and as was the sixth. And we shortened the fifth into a really fun short par four and lengthened the sixth into a monster. And so what ends up happening when you do that is you get an ebb and flow between challenges and opportunities, which I think that's what makes a golf course fun, where, you, where you're just, you know, you've got chances to succeed, and then you've got other chances where you're really tested. And, and, a, and a, a really good course just kind of moves, moves back and forth between Again, challenges and opportunities. One of your other courses, my parents live up in, in Chattanooga, and my father's had the opportunity to play Chattanooga Golf and Country Club a few times and has really enjoyed that golf course. It dates all the way back to 1896, and guys like Walter Hagen and Ben Hogan, Byron Nelson, Arnold Palmer have all gotten to play up there. Talk about what you did with that golf course. Yeah, that was that's one of my very very favorite uh, projects. If anybody wants to check us out on our website um, or on Facebook or any of those, you'll always see pictures of Chattanooga Golf and Country Club. It is a fabulous golf course and a great setting. It sits along the Tennessee River. Donald Ross came in in 1920 and, and redid that golf course. Although he never visited, so he sent his his team, and then the club hired me. Because in 1983, they renovated the golf course, and they took all of the Ross away. It was all gone. Nothing left was Ross on that property. And so they wanted to restore it. And, they, and I didn't have to restore it, you know, as it was. But they wanted a course that felt like 1920s Ross. And so we really had a free hand. And I also didn't have to worry about harming a masterpiece. So it was really an interesting project. It was my first historical renovation. And uh, quite honestly, I'm, I'm amazed at, at this point that they hired me, but it seemed to work out beautifully for, for both uh, myself and the club because the club is just doing fantastic. And it's a top five course in Tennessee now. So they went from uh, not on the map to a top five course in the state. 
Um, but it it um, it has all the characteristics you would see in a 1920s golf course. It feels that way, yet it plays very modern. Uh, to give you an example of that yardage diversity, we have four par fours over 450. Two of them are over 470. So those are monsters. But we have two par fours under three and a quarter. So little little bitty bitty guys. We have a par three at 128. Another par three about 225. Again incredible diversity but uh one of the funny things one of the members when we first opened it he looked at me goes bergen i've never played a golf course with seven par fives before because he <laughs> felt like all those all all those long par fours were were, were, were par fives and, and there, there could be something said about that but we told it's not a long golf course it's just under 6700 yards par 71 but it it is the epitome of movement between between opportunities and challenges it just ebbs and flows and then it's along the tennessee river so it's it's just beautiful to look at uh we converted about 13 acres of maintained turf into uh, native areas with fescues and broom sedge and it just adds an incredible amount of beauty and age and texture to the golf course so it's it's very photogenic and it's just just a blast to play the kind of course that you, you tee it up and, and you go around it and you walk off the 18th hole and you go, man, I know I can play better than that, and I want to try right now. I want to do it again now. It doesn't beat you up. It just teases you, and um, it's that kind of course. So it's 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 one of my favorites. Bill, just a couple of more before we let you go. Let let you know let our listeners know you know you've got some other you know renovations going on with some of the more historic golf courses. Talk about some of the other projects you have underway. Sure. Well, we um, one that I'm proud of. We just finished out in Oklahoma. I redid a Tillinghast out there, and it was selected by Golf Digest as the fourth best redo in America for 2015. So we're real proud of that. And it's a tremendous golf course. Again, one that all the Tillinghast was gone. So when I came in, I didn't again have to worry about harming a masterpiece. Uh, I was able to to basically take it back to um, to Tillinghast style, but make it modern. Uh, we lengthened it obviously, and then did a lot of work. We we uh, did clearing, drainage, but we rebuilt the golf all the features again. It was a ma- major major renovation, but one that's been very successful. And currently, we have my company has five uh, renovations that were either under construction or planning that are from 1922 or older. So, uh, historical renovations seem to be something that we're we're working hard with, and and uh, they're labors of love. Um, I've got a Seth Rayner up in Minnesota that I'm really excited about. We start construction in August, and then here in Atlanta, we're doing Druid Hills, uh, which is from 1915. And um, that's that's a course that is um, just a beautiful property to work on. And my former boss, Bob Cup, did major work there, and uh, he passed away this past year. And so it's it's I think about him a lot when I'm down working on that property. And then um, Dalton Country Club, which um, I won the state amateur in 1981, they've hired me to master plan and rebuild their golf course. So those are a few of the ones that we're we're working on. And then. Um, also working with U.S. Kids Golf, who bought a golf course in Pinehurst. So we're, we're quite busy, and, um, and things are going well. And as you talk about U.S. Kids Golf, talk about the program and the initiative that you're working on in conjunction with those guys. Perfect. So U.S. Kids Golf is a company that sells equipment for 6-year-olds up to 12 or 13-year-olds. They also run 900 to 1,000 tournaments a year. And so they ended up buying a golf course in the Pinehurst area because they hold their national or international championship there every summer. 
So they bought a golf course and they wanted it to be their living laboratory of the philosophies they believe in. And Dan Van Horn, the owner of U.S. Kids Golf, feels like if you achieve excellence, no matter what your age, okay, no matter what your age, if you achieve excellence, you should be able to shoot par. Well, if you're six and you should be able to shoot par, you've got to have a golf course that's scaled to fit you. Okay, if you're 10 and you should shoot par, it's a, it's a different scale than the six-year-old. Well, well, he, when he came to me, he said, I want to set up the golf course so that this, this can happen. And he had done the math on it and knew kind of what he wanted. And so my job was to implement it at Longleaf. But as we were going through the process, I said, Dan, this is way more important for women and seniors than it is just for kids. It's important for everybody. But we came up with this system called the Longleaf Tea Initiative. And we start golf courses at 3,200 yards, 18 holes, 3,200 yards, and we go up at 600-yard increments, so 3,200, 3,800, 4,400, 5,000. Well, that's four tees that, that traditionally would have been, you know, forward tees, women's tees, or, or, or senior men's tees, or, or even further forward than that. Well, we go all the way to 7,400 with this system. And it's simply based, it tells you what tee to play based on how far you carry a driver. If you carry a driver 100 yards, you should be playing a 3,200-yard golf course. If you carry a driver 275 yards, like you're going to talk to Sean McKeel, he should be playing a 7,400-yard golf course. And so it's completely objective, this system. It tells you what golf course you should play. Well, the reason it's such an important thing is I feel like we are eliminating irrelevant golf shots. And those shots, I would say, are the in-between shots. When, when somebody stands on a tee and they're about to tee off, they anticipate being successful on that hole. A tee shot matters. The approach shot is your scoring shot. It also matters. But for too many golfers, especially kids, women, senior men, there are shots in between those shots that do not matter, and they, ha- they hit them on every hole because the golf course is too long for them. And so this Longleaf Tea Initiative is basically eliminating those shots, and we believe it's going to make golf more fun, speed up play, players are going to shoot better scores, be less tired, all positive things, but basically have more fun and have, have golf shots that really matter. And so, and it's a completely objective system. There's nothing about it that says, you know, when you tell somebody you should play a shorter golf course, so they go, well, how far? Where should I play? Well, this tells you. Again, if you if you fly the ball 250 yards, you should be playing about 6,800. You know, so it's it's got an answer for everyone. And the the beauty of it is, each tee is rated for men and for women. Okay, course rating and handicap can be developed whether you're playing at 3,200 yards and you're a male or a female, or 7,400 and you're a male or a female. It, it, it is gender neutral, and completely based on how far you carry a driver. So very simple system. But one, we feel like we're, we're going to take to golf courses across America. And Longleaf is our, our first one. And Reese Jones is also put doing it at Medina right now on one of their three courses. So it's, it's going to be out there. You're going to hear more about it and see more about it. Wow, that is fantastic stuff. Good for you for, for putting that out in place. Sort of like the Tee It Forward program. That's a, that's an outstanding idea. Hopefully we start to see that catch on everywhere. Cause, you know, as you mentioned, what we're trying to do, right, is make the game a golf fun for everybody and not a frustrating game and keep more people playing the game. So kudos to you guys for putting that together, Bill. Great. Thanks. Yeah, and, and we feel like, you know, we're going to increase our participation rate for, for families and we're going to um, allow seniors to play golf longer and enjoy it longer. So we're, we're very excited about it. 
Bill, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, either follow you online or over social media? Absolutely. Website's easy to find, Bergengolf, um, www.bergengolf.com. And then I am very active on social media. We post a lot on Facebook, Instagram, uh, um, and Twitter, uh, always on our projects. If you like following golf, watching things under construction, you can really follow projects. So we have a lot of fun, post a lot of pictures, and um, would love to have have more people pay attention and um, feel free to comment. So thanks very much, Chris. Absolutely, Bill. Thank you for for taking time out of your morning to be a part of the show. I hope you'll come back and keep us updated on all the great things that you're doing. It was fantastic having you today. Absolutely, and I will reach out and we'll go play uh, Pine Tree or Dunwoody soon. Ah, I appreciate it. Look forward to it. Take care, Bill. Thanks again. All the best to you and your family until uh, we get the opportunity to catch up again. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care. That's Bill Bergen. Again, Bill uh, Bergen Golf, you know, fantastic stuff. And I'm telling you, you need to go on his website and take a look at, you know, the golf courses that he's, you know, designed, you know, in total and some of the renovations that he's done because they're absolutely beautiful. And I'm telling you, that that Chattanooga Golf and Country Club and how it, as we talked about, on the Tennessee River there really looks outstanding. I think you'll you'll enjoy seeing some of these pictures and hope, hope you know, like me, I hope you'll uh, get an opportunity to play it, you know, sometime because uh, they are really outstanding looking golf courses. So look forward to catching up with Bill again real soon. All right, before we get to my next guest, Sean McKeel, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the Bobby Jones Company. Folks, it's time to change things up, right? The Bobby Jones Spring Collection, it's here with fresh new colors, new additions that have, you know, genuine and enduring character. From new polo-style shirts to long-sleeve button-down shirts to tech shorts that, you know, are ready to hit the links for you. So, you know, it's starting to get a little bit warmer out there, so shorts are coming back into play. The Bobby Jones brand will keep you feeling great and looking great, whether you're on the golf course or in the office. Go to bobbyjones.com to give your wardrobe a fresh new look this spring. And when you place your order, now, next on the tee, put in next on the tee in their their promo code box, and you're going to get 10% off your order. So, you know, freshen up your wardrobe for spring. Iconic brand, the Bobby Jones Company, and save a little money, too. Again, go to bobbyjones.com and enter next on the tee as your promotional code to freshen up your look this spring. Plus, while you're in a Bobby Jones frame of mind, go to bobbyjonesclubs.com to see their great line of drivers, fairway woods, and hybrids designed by one of the game's most influential equipment designers, Jesse Ortiz. Like his father, Lou, Bobby Jones himself as well, Jesse has a passion for the game of golf and golf club design. You remember his great tri-wood you know, fairway medals from back, from back in the, uh, the day when he was at Olimar. Well, now he's putting his creativity and innovative designs to work creating great golf equipment for the Bobby Jones Company. Check it out online by going to bobbyjonesclubs.com. And if you're looking for some great golf accessories to get your season started, go check out our friends over at froggergolf.com. What a wonderful array of uh, products that they have, like their Amphibian Towel that won Best New Product at the PGA Merchandise Show back in 2009, and their new Catch Latch technology won Best New Product this year. Their Catch Latch products allow you to easily and securely attach and release your golf accessories, including your GPS devices or your mobile phone, to and from their, you know, your golf bag. They've got, you know, great, great items as well. If you're looking, you know, under $20, you're looking for, you know, a little inexpensive stuff like, you know, Brush Pro uh, Club Cleaner and tees and that sort of thing. Great stuff. Tremendous golf bags as well on their site. Go see for yourself by going to froggergolf.com. All right, we'll get to my next guest, Sean McKeel, on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. 
And now back with me on the French Lake Resort guest line is 2003 PGA champion Sean McKeel. It's been a little while since Sean's been a part of the show, so let me refresh your memory about Sean's background. He's from Orlando, Florida, currently resides just out of Memphis, Tennessee, played his college golf at Indiana University, where he was an All-American and led Indiana to the Big Ten Championship title in 1991, shot the league's third, third lowest winning you know, individual total of 276, and that year was named the Big Ten Player of the Year. He was a two-time all-conference selection, and he became the second Hoosier to win the Big Ten's Les Bolston Award, which is for low stroke average for the year, 72.08 in that magical year of 1991. He was also given the Jack Gimble Award for having the best mental attitude. And he was inducted into IU's Hall of Fame in 2005. He has three professional wins at the 1998 Singapore Open, the 99 Greensboro Open, and of course the 2003 PGA Championship. And over the course of his uh, playing career, he's had 20 top 10 finishes, 57 top 25s, he was runner-up to Tiger Woods at the 2006 PGA Championship, so he was that close to having two major championship wins. Later in 2006, he finished second again at the World Match Play Championship after defeating Tiger Woods in the first round. Sean is, the, is only the second player in U.S. Open history to make a double eagle in the U.S. Open, and he did, did that at the 2010 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. And you wouldn't believe how many times our lives have crossed paths and yet we've never met in person. I lived in Orlando for 12 years. He was from Orlando. We never met. Lived outside. I lived outside of Memphis and in Bartlett and in Germantown. We never met. I played at Stonebridge Country Club as a kid. So did Sean. Never met. My father played in a pro-am at Southwind with Sean. We never met. And we attended the same high school a few years apart. Still never met. It's been kind of, you know, you know kind of like that in our lives. We're close, but not quite there. And he's been kind enough to join me on the show for the last couple of years, which I'm so very grateful for and glad to have him back with me again this morning here on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Sean. How have you been, my friend? Hi, Chris. How are you this morning? I'm fantastic. Thank you. So, Sean, congratulations. Definitely in order. I read you're, you're going to be the lead analyst for the BBC at the Masters this year. That's awesome. Good for you. Yeah, it's uh, it was an opportunity that kind of presented itself last weekend. Really, I got a excuse me, I got an email from my manager, um, from someone, um, James Peacock out of the BBC, and um, we had done some interviews. I think just kind of the course the last number of years, and um, I think they were just kind of looking for they were looking for someone, uh, someone new. I think, and uh, I guess based on those interviews, they they liked the way that I spoke, I guess, I don't know, but they, but they reached out to me and, and, uh, presented me with this opportunity of a lifetime. So I kind of feel like I'm a, a first year pro and my first event's a major championship. So, um, they couldn't have, they couldn't have given me a, a tougher, a tougher start, but uh, I'm excited about it. And it's, it's, uh, look, I've, I've talked to people at the golf channel over the course of a couple of years about doing a few things. Um, been a lot of my friends and contemporaries that uh, are doing quite well. I speak of Noda Begay, Trip Eisenhower, uh, Aaron Oberholzer, of course, David Duvall. Um, those guys that uh, have done so many great things on the golf course, they've done very well and made their conversion over to TV and broadcasting. And uh, I'm not there yet. I'm, uh, it's it def definitely something that intrigues me, um, but I'm still happy playing the game. And uh, so, that, you know, for right now, that's what I'm going to continue to do. 
And I saw where you reached out to Memphis Grizzlies play-by-play announcer Pete Branica for advice. What did he? Uh, what did he share with you? Well, Pete and I are really good friends, and uh, we've got to know each other you know, several years ago, and have played played quite a bit of golf. I, I you know, I'm, I'm with he and Brevin Knight, who's his pl- uh, color guy. Um, you know, we've played a lot of golf, and when this opportunity came about, I just kind of reached out to him and asked him for some advice. I mean, the first thing was from the BBC is what exactly am I going to be doing? And I've been given kind of a, a broad kind of stroke on what, uh, what to be expected of me during the week of a master. Some of it is Facebook live. Some of it may be some interviews. And I think that's really, um, kind of where I went with Pete or just some of the things that I need to say or need to ask he kind of turned the tables and he said, look, think about some of the things that you know, you've been asked over the years, some of the questions that you've answered, the way you've answered them. Um, and a few other, a few other tidbits. Uh, he, re- he sent something to me that from ESPN, um, you know, basically how to conduct an interview, things to stay away from, things to kind of lead guys towards. And so I haven't really gone over it quite yet, but uh, that's something I'll be doing in the next couple of weeks. But he's been very helpful. Um, as have uh, a lot of people, either through Facebook or just people that have found out about this new opportunity. Um, I would say the biggest advice I've gotten is to, you know, obviously be yourself. Um, don't get too technical. Um, obviously, having my experience of playing Augusta will certainly help. But um, I would say just kind of be yourself. And, and, of course, as anybody that's listened to this show, and you know full well that sometimes I get a little – I get a little carried away. I mean, I think we all have things that we'd like to say, and it's sometimes difficult to convey those messages in a in a in, a, in just a kind of a a soundbite. So those are things that I'll be probably working on, um, and those are some of the things that he he explained to me as well. But but Pete's been a good friend. I've enjoyed uh, speaking with him, playing golf with him, and and there's a few other guys that I've reached out to also, Steve Flesh. Uh, there's a few other guys, you know, Kurt Byram. I'd like to talk to Mark Lye. Um, guys that have played that that particular role, and and um, I think what's fortunate for me is that it is it is radio, so it's BBC Five Live, and <clears throat> it is apparently it's a very conversational. I'm not going to be calling any shots. I, I don't believe it's it's just going to be more kind of putting putting the viewer in the player's kind of mind and uh, how they're thinking about a shot, and so. I'm going to kind of learn a lot more as we get get a little bit closer to it. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to to kind of gaining as much knowledge about how these people operate because it's a crew of ten. These guys have all worked together uh, quite a bit, so I'm going to be a new addition, and uh, so I'm going to have to really kind of just kind of keep my ears open and, and with an open mind, and obviously, and and uh, try to learn as much as I can as quickly as I can. You talk about knowledge, right? Because you know, the folks at Augusta National can be a little particular about how you go about describing their golf course. You know, you got to remember, so they're not spectators, they're patrons, right? The guys have gotten right. themselves in trouble by describing some things. Gary McCord got himself you know, kicked out of <laughs> kicked out of there several years ago for the you know bikini wax comment that he talked about their slick greens. Has, has anyone right. given you advice about, hey, Sean, make sure you don't say this? I haven't yet. I mean, I think being a player, they're playing there five times. I and have, have obviously watched the Masters uh, since I was a kid, so you kind of pick up on those types of things. But not yet. I suppose that'll that'll happen um, fairly quickly. I'm, 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 but 
I'm not really too worried about it. I mean, I don't really have any um, things really to say other than the obvious. Um, I'm not I'm not out there to try to be a comedian. I think Gary's role was definitely one to provide a lot of knowledge because he had a lot of experience playing playing the game at a high level, but also um, as a kind of a comedic type figure. And that kind of um, although I. I don't think anybody really found fault in it. It just was something that wasn't uh, presented as the way that the master's committee wanted to be presented. So, I mean, I'll certainly look through things and try to figure out ways to describe the situation in really an honest and uh, a fair way. And, and uh, you know, again, I mean, I'm going to be very careful. I, I, I'm assuming that now, look, this is going to be the first time in a, in a long, long time that I've actually had to work for someone. So, um, you know, I'm going to have to be on my best behavior and, and, uh, I look forward to it, but, but, uh, I think I'm ready for the challenge. Are you going to go out there and, and play some practice rounds to kind of, you know, I mean, obviously you've played there five times, like you talked about, and, you know, you had a, you know, a tie for 22, 22nd, uh, back in 2004, you know, but are you going to go out there and play a little bit to try to, you know, refresh your memory on, you know, the nuances of the golf course? I don't know. I've thought about that. Um, you know, I've not been back on property since I last played in 08. And um, I don't think there have been any significant changes, you know, to the golf course, to the routing, you know, since I last played. So unless they want me to go out there, I mean, I don't really plan on taking my clubs right, you know, today. That could change tomorrow. Or if they decide, hey, they want me to go out there and kind of get a feel for the course, uh, then maybe I will. Um, but as of right now, I don't, I don't really have any plans to do that. So, Sean, let's switch gears a little bit. And with all of the talk, you know, about how much better golf, you know, technology and equipment, you know, is today, the golf ball, we, you know, we hear all about that all the time. When, when you look back at how far you used to drive the golf ball and clubs, you know, club yardages that you used to hit, you know, 10, 20 years ago, now when you're out there playing, you know, are, are you find are you hitting the ball the same length as, as you did as a, you know, when you were 28 and 38? Further, shorter, what, what's your experience? No, I mean, I'm getting the ball out there, uh, you know, quite a bit further, I think, than, than I used to. Um, yeah, certainly technology has, uh, I don't know, I'm going to say it's eroded the game. It's a different game, I'll say that. Um, I, I think that when I was younger, obviously the guys were great players. But the game, it was a different game. It was a feel-based kind of rhythm um, game where, you know, you try to play within yourself. You tried to play, you know, in control. Well, now it's basically you're teetering on the edge of out of control because these guys are swinging for numbers. The, the golf balls are designed. You need to get the ball up in the air, which you need speed to create the height. You need loft on the driver and those types of things. And what I found as a younger player is that I fell in love with spin. Spin is the enemy of any golf manufacturing company now because the balls are designed to launch high with less spin to get as much carry as possible. Now, of course, the example designs and everything else are created to keep the ball in the air. But I, I, I cannot shape the shots. I still see the shots that I saw when I was a teenager. I still looked at a back left pin. And I still want to kind of draw it in there from the middle of the green. And I, and I still see that shot, but I can no longer hit that shot with any consistency whatsoever. Sometimes it comes out okay. Sometimes it goes straight. Sometimes, you know, when I hit down, try to hit a driving draw, it hangs out to the right. And 
So I'm just not able to, to hit those types of shots. So my, um, I guess, perspective on, on playing the game is different. Um, I don't really, again, I don't really like the game the way it is today because these guys seem to all be chasing numbers. Not, and they're all, they're all great players. But the head sizes, the, the self-correcting balls, the, the, the drivers that have the gear effect on them, I mean, they've perfected technology. I mean, I can't imagine where they're going to go from here in five to ten years. Um, but it's just a different game. It's, it's just not as fun because I can't hit the shots that I that I want to hit. And some of that is just talent, too. I've certainly lost some, some of that. Um, but it's not taken away from the guys today that are playing playing well and shooting shooting low numbers and winning tournaments and winning majors. It's just a different game. I mean – you know, the guys that when I came up that were retiring, they said the same thing about, you know, some of the things and the equipment that I was playing with. But it's um, – I don't like to chase numbers. I don't like having a big team around me. All these guys have nutritionists and trainers and swing coaches and life coaches and mental coaches. I just – that's a job to me. I want to play the game. And I think that I fell in love with a game of golf, and now it's just turned into this – it's just it's to me it's just a job and um i enjoy playing the game but i don't i don't enjoy doing some of the things that i think would make me better and that's chasing trackman numbers trying to find consistency with a certain driver setup i just i don't enjoy that at all and so it's probably good that i'm 48 and and moving on but um <laughs> it's just it's just it's just different so are you trying to change your mind? So you see, you know, the way you, you know, you, you vision a shot in your mind and, and the shaping of shots. And now that the, you know, everything seems to go much straighter, are you changing your swing or your mindset to say, okay, now I can go right for the back left pin. I'm not going to be able to hook it like I used to because of the, the equipment and the technology and all that sort of stuff. Now I'm just going to take dead aim. Or is that just not your game? Well, I mean, certainly. I mean, I have as much opportunity as the next person with this new technology to to see those types of things. But again, when you know, when you're playing tour level golf, when you're playing on the PGA Tour, um, you know, you still have to be careful because the way the golf courses are set up, the green speeds, the firmness of the greens, that still short siding yourself is still not a great place to be. Um, but I just like again, I just have this mindset that has just been ingrained in me since I was a kid and first started playing the game. That you know you kind of want to you kind of want to maneuver the ball around the golf course. You want to swing swing in rhythm. You want to you know you don't want to try to kill the ball. And when you get that mentality, um, it, it's kind of like what I would tell you before. About, you asked me you know, why I haven't maybe one more, and I think it was because I played too conservatively. I've said that on numerous occasions. And once you get that mindset, it is hard to go the other way. It's like you know Phil Mickelson got criticized a lot you know, for until he started winning his majors for playing too aggressively. But the bottom line was Phil played that way on every single shot. He never was caught in between, well, do I play safe here? Do I go for it? He just said, I'm going for it. And that's the way he played the game. And when you play like I did a little bit more conservatively, it's tough to do the other. And, um, and so I wish that maybe I would have been a, lo- a little bit more aggressive in my career and, and took on some more chances. But I don't know if that was just personality trait that I have or I don't know if I was just trying to make cuts. Maybe it was both. I don't know. But um, 
you know, I, I do have that opportunity to kind of aim at the flag, but I'm, but always in the back of my mind is, you know, don't go here, don't go there. You know, if I pull this or push this, I'm going to be in, I'm going to be in big trouble. So, um, it's just a mindset that you get into and it's sometimes it's hard to break. And Sean, you know, as we've been talking over the last couple of years, you know, you've been trying different kinds of equipment. Have you settled, you know, on a set of clubs? Have you settled on a driver? Have you settled on a brand of golf ball? Where, where are you with, with, uh, with your own game with that? Yeah. Well, I mean, right now I, uh, I'm using Callaway. I've got uh, I got some Callaway Apex irons in the bag, and um, I got a new, a new Epic driver. And it's taken some experimentation, I think, with the Epic because I started out the year with a with a nine degree with the Kuro Kagi shaft. And what I kind of found with it was that if I got into the wind um, of any significance, and I tried to again tried to hit a driving shot like I used to. I kept hitting it left, and it caused me a very big number in, in a tournament in the Bahamas. I made an 11 on a par 5, and the start of that was a result of a poor drive. It was to the left, and that kind of carried over through that particular day. So I reached out to them, and I asked them to send me a 10.5-degree head with a different shaft, a little stiffer shaft, and so it's a Diamante whiteboard 70-gram um, shaft. Uh, so I've got it set up at 10, it's 10 and a half loft, but I've got it in draw, <laughs> draw configuration with minus one. So I've taken some loft off. And when you do that, it opens the face up, which, which is something I like to look at. I can't stand looking at a face that, that's shut and particularly one that has loft on it. Um, so that's what I've done. And I've, and I've actually driven the ball very well. I, I haven't played a whole lot of tournament golf. The way the scheduling has gone on the web.com, I was a week on, I was a week off then back on, then I was off for a couple of weeks and I went to South America, Central America and South America for two weeks. And now I'm in a stretch of a month off. So it's been difficult just because I haven't played a whole lot of tournament golf the last couple of years, but just trying to get this set up, right. Trying to get, um, everything dialed in. I'm using a Tylus ball and, um, this new pro V ball that they've got, it's really, um, really getting out there. I think they've kind of figured it out. Um, you know, with, with this new pro V one, and um so i mean the ball is going far it's it's holding around the greens um you know but i like to tinker and uh when i was playing of course when i was playing more regularly i didn't i didn't mess around with too many clubs matter of fact i might even use a sand wedge for a year year and a half with very little grooves because it's so difficult once i get a, a club set up particularly a wedge or something like that um the way i have it shaped and the way that it feels around the ground or feels on the ground you know when you're hitting chip shots off tight lies or whatever, when you feel like you have a very versatile wedge, it's hard to get rid of that, even though you know it's time. Because no matter how good the technology is to replicate, you know, what you're using, you just, anytime you do any grinding, it's never going to be the same. So um, I have tinkered a little bit this year since I've been playing more. It's been fun because uh, I'm out there and I'm getting some stuff for free now again. So um I've had a good time with it, but but uh, it's time to settle down, I guess, and just find 14 clubs that I can stick with. And I think the, the putter has been the biggest the biggest thing for me too. I've, I've switched around a couple of times this year already, so um, you know we'll see if that trend continues. Yeah, talk about the putter because we've had a lot of conversations about putters over the years, and talk about you know I know you you were really enjoying some of some of the putters that Odyssey has out. Yeah, I, I have been. As a matter of fact, they just made me a new a new putter that um it's a it's a fang. It's an all black fang. It does have a white hot insert, but I've been using this stuff. They got a new technology called Microhinge 
which yeah. is really incredible. It's uh, it's got a great feel, and the technology behind it seems to be you know pretty consistent, um, getting the ball rolling quicker. But I've always liked a kind of a softer type feel, um, and that, and, that, and this it's exactly what this gives me. But I was using um, some face balance stuff earlier in the year when it was really windy. I was using a, an XG7 tank maybe an X7 tank and uh with a you know uh it was heavy and it was something when we played in the Bahamas the one day it was blowing 40 miles an hour so that really helped but to be honest with you I'm not wild about face balancing and I don't really and I'm not a and I'm not a person that really likes a double bend shaft but that's kind of what I was using and I just I needed it I think just for the weight um because I I also you know I like the club face to open and close but again when I got into the wind, I just felt like I couldn't afford to have that rotation because I just didn't feel like I was going to be able to get the club back to square. So I've messed around with quite a few things. I mean, certainly Callaway and, and uh, you know, Odyssey have done have done great things with their product. They're, they're having a great, great couple of years and uh, designing some great products. And, and, and they have just about anything that you want to fit your eye or, or you know, shape a stroke. So Sean, as you as you look out for you know the remainder of 2017, what are your plans? You're going to get out more on the Web.com tour. If this if this uh, you know thing goes well with the BBC at, at the Masters, could we see you doing a little more broadcasting? What are your plans? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, certainly right now my goals are to to continue playing uh, on the Web and and try to figure out a way to get back onto the PJ tour. I mean, you know, last year I didn't play a lot. I mean, my father passed right before Christmas. And so I spent the better part of 10 months um, taking care of him. And so I kind of pushed my golf. Um, even though I was out there physically, I was playing. Just the mental game of playing at a high level just has been kind of pushed aside for for 10 months. Um, but if, if if things work out, I may have the opportunity to go over and do something at Royal Birkdale for the Open Championship this year. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, my goals again are still to to try to get through, and I'd love to try to get my tour card back. Uh, maybe kind of a shot in the dark at this point, but um, you know, trying to get to age 50. And when I get to age 50, that's when I'm going to start playing a lot more, and uh, you know, a lot more consistent uh, basis. Uh, the schedule, like I said, the schedule we have on the web.com is not great. They just definitely have some issues there, and they need to work through those. Um, you know, for to keep guys from having these long breaks. But um, so we'll see. I mean, like I said, my goals are to keep playing. I want to keep playing. I, I'm enjoying the game. I'm actually going tomorrow. I'm going to South Florida. My coach from college, Sam Carmichael, who, uh, as your as your prior guest was talking about, you know, uh, Mr. Trahan, you know, being instrumental in his, I think he did well in the British Open. I think I caught that right at the end. But, um, you know, Sam was uh, – the biggest influence on my game besides my father, um, he's the one that really convinced me that I could play professional golf and not only play, but succeed. Um, because at the point in college where he took over my start of my junior year, I was, I was ready to think about becoming a pilot. Uh, like my father, I was already licensed and I was kind of on that track to, to follow my dad's lead and become a, a pilot for FedEx. But that all changed with Sam. And so I'm going down tomorrow. I'm going to work with him for four days. We're going to play Tuesday at the Medalist. And then just really work on my game because it's really off. I mean, I've got some, I've got some issues in my swing that 
that need to be resolved. Uh, one of them is hip slide. I just have too much hip slide. So I'm hoping that Sam can, can kind of figure this thing out and get me back on track to play more consistent golf. It's just the golf that I've played this year was, was effect. I was affected by the wind a lot in the Bahamas. Mentally, I wasn't there. My father had just passed, uh, trying to handle the estate and everything else. It just, it just was really a lot, but I needed to play. My dad would have wanted me to play just, I just had no game. I had no game. I had no desire to be out there, but I felt like I needed to be there for whatever reason. I just needed to play. So um, I am looking forward to kind of getting back and getting on track. I've not worked with a teacher in several years. I just kind of got jaded with some of the advice that I've been getting and, and uh, kind of fell out of love with, you know, working on a game. And so here we are. But uh, I'm excited about getting down there and, and uh, putting forth some good effort for the next couple of weeks. So, Sean, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with, you know, what you're doing, follow you, you know, online and over social media, and then as you, you know, get to working with the BBC, how they might be able to check you out. Yeah, well, I'm at Sean McKeel PGA for Twitter and, and you know, Sean McKeel on Facebook. I've been pretty quiet, but um, I'm hoping with this new opportunity that uh, there's going to be some more things posted. Um, you know, my goals with, with, with social media a number of years ago were really to – um, just to provide my friends and my fans uh, just some insight into the game. And unfortunately, as I started getting online, I started playing less and less golf. So I've been more of a follower, but but I enjoy I enjoy reading some of these things that people are putting out there. Well, Sean, my son and I will be on the grounds of Augusta National for the Monday practice round. And, you know, if you're around, I hope we can actually finally meet in person. That would be a lot of fun, but I wish you so much success you know, and, and what you're doing there with the BBC and then obviously with your game, you know, we're we're big Sean McKeel fans here, so we're always keeping track of what you're doing and watching you online when you're playing. Well, I appreciate that, Chris. And uh certainly if I'm if I'm there on Monday, which I think I will be, um, you know, I probably won't shoot you a text because I'll be kicked out of the club, but I'll, <laughs> I'll hook up with you. So I'll figure I'll, I'll figure out a way to, to, to get a message into you. I appreciate it. John, thanks for your time again this morning. Always so much fun when we get to have you as part of the show. So good luck. All the best to you and your family. Hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up again real soon. That'd be great. Thank you, Chris. Have a great one. See you. All right. Take care, Sean. That is uh, 2003 PGA champion Sean McKeel and a better man you will not find. All right, folks, you know, it is time for us to put a bow on this episode. But before we close up shop, we'd like to continue to remind you about our friend PGA Tour Pro Jim Mestis and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association and what they're doing. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's 
smga.org. Yeah, Jim and his crew are doing a great job with our, our wounded veterans. Please check them out online at Salute Military Golf Association at the Salute Military Golf Association. You can find them at smga.org. All right, folks, my sincere thanks again to Bill Bergen and Sean McKeel for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the show. You know, if you did half as much as I did, then we're doing some good things. Please, you know, give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Share your feedback with me. That's very important. Plus, if you got a question for one of our future guests that you'd like me to ask for you and get, you on, get on the show, please let us know on there. And you can give us, you know, a comment and uh, send a question. We'd, uh, we'd be glad to do that for you. Please also, you know, go on our website, nextonthetea.net. That's where you can find out who, you know, some of our uh, future guests are going to be. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari, our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio as well as the Armed Forces Radio Network. That show, like this one, also available as a free podcast on Podbean. You can also find it on iHeartRadio as well. Tune in. Uh, carries us as well. Thanks to all of those folks for carrying the show. We appreciate you guys very much. On Thursday night, I tell you, you know, we're joined every week by five NFL legends. They come on, share their stories about their playing days, add their insights into today's game as well. Plus, we highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find that you know that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. Again, available on Podbean as a podcast. This show, again, online next on the T.net. You can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free, like I say, plus uh, stay up to date with who our future guests are going to be as well. Thank you again for choosing to listen to this show today. We appreciate it. We know you got hundreds of podcasts out there that you could be listening to, thousands of shows online to listen to. We appreciate that you've made Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.